reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's been a privilege to be with you these last three weeks. We've been doing a little series in Luke's Gospel. We started with the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan as we asked the question, well, who is in and who is out? Who is welcome? Uh, And then we looked at Jesus' crucifixion uh, and how even as he died on the cross, Jesus is giving a welcome uh, to a convicted criminal into the very kingdom of God. And so today we follow that theme again as we look at this amazing story uh, of the Emmaus Road. Uh, My name is Chris and I run a charity called Home for Good. We are all about hospitality. What does it mean to welcome those that are most in need of a loving and caring family? And uh, our particular interest is around vulnerable children and how we welcome uh, children who've had just the worst start in life into families that are going to give them the love they need in order to thrive and to flourish. And we take great comfort, great encouragement, great challenge from the practice and life 
of Jesus. Just this week, I was uh, talking to my sister. She's down in Brighton, and she's trying to clear out our family home. Um, My mother was a bit of a hoarder, and uh, so there are certain rooms in our house where you can't actually open the door because there's so much furniture inside. And so we're trying to decide what we're going to keep and what we're going to throw away. What is the value in the furniture in that house? And there's one piece of furniture I have put dibs on. I've got a yellow sticker on it, and it's mine. It's just a simple rocking chair where my mother used to sit to warm herself by the fire. It's where she used to darn my socks. Do you remember an age when we didn't used to just buy new socks? She used to darn new socks. She used to make sure my lunchbox was ready. She used to read me stories. That was her place. And so that chair is very precious to me. And there's no way anyone's getting rid of it. And I guess as I go home to my house in Oxfordshire, I began to ask, well, what is the most valuable piece of furniture that we own? And we decided it was our kitchen table. And it's not valuable because of what it's made out of. It's a bit of MDF, actually, with a few legs bolted on. It's not even valuable because of the quality or the quantity of food that we serve on it, because we're a bit into mass production in my family. There are seven children that live permanently with us, and they're often bringing friends home from school, so life is a little bit busy, so it's often beans on toast. So it's not the food, and it's not what it's made out of. It's more the relationships that were forged around this table that make the difference. I think of birthdays, where the children come down and they sit at the table and their eyes are wide open as the table's piled high with presents for them to open. I think of Christmas, the, the last Christmas that my mother was with us. We're all sat around the table and the cancer's ripped through her body, but she's still trying to make the best of it and make us laugh. I think of times when foster children have turned up and this is the first time they're meeting the entire family and they're a bit worried about whether they're going to be accepted, whether they're going to fit in. I think of one lad when he turned up and it was sausages for dinner and we put 20 sausages on a, on a tray and before we knew it, he had 18 of those sausages on his plate. And it took us a while to prize them off of him, but he'd come from a chaotic home where food was scarce and therefore he needed to grab the food while he could. I think about arguments that we've had around the table. I think of reconciliation that's made, celebrations that have been had. But it's often a place where the family comes together, where strangers become friends. This idea of hospitality is so important in Scripture that the last story that we hear in Luke's Gospel just underlines it for us. And uh, it's a resurrection story. It's an Easter story. And you might have noticed that this year, Easter Sunday falls on April Fool's Day. And there seems to be a bit of a prank going on here in the middle of the story. I don't know if you noticed it. If you look again at verse 13, you've got these two people walking down the road. Uh, They're walking away from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. And you can imagine that their proverbial tails were between their legs because they've had all their hopes smashed, all their dreams have turned to nothing. They'd hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one that was going to liberate them from the power of the Roman Empire. But instead they saw the Roman Empire crush Jesus, beat his body, put nails through his hands and feet and drive a spear through his side. It looked like the Roman Empire had win. Might had conquered over the weakness of Jesus. And so they walk home dejected. And then someone comes to them. We know what they don't know. We know this is Jesus. But they just think it's some random stranger. 
a pretty ill-informed random stranger. Did you see uh, what he asked them? He asked them in verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk alone? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other companion. It could be a wife, it could be a friend, it could be a relative. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? You know what, he's the only one that does know what's happening in these days. The irony is thick, isn't it? But Jesus is very gracious and gentle and continues asking them a few more questions. What things? Well, you know, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem, liberate Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They told us that they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. How ironic is that? They're staring Jesus in the face, and they don't see Jesus either. In fact, all through Luke's Gospel, there have been people that have been very close to Jesus and yet missed who he was. There were two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus. One of them turns and, and, and asks for mercy and forgiveness, and he's Jesus is plus one in the kingdom of heaven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But another man died just a few feet away from Jesus, and yet died as a stranger to him. It's possible to be really close, isn't it? To be in the church building, even having your nose in the Bible, and yet miss who Jesus is. Jesus comes back, and he doesn't come back in pastoral mode. I don't know if you noticed that in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You'd expect Jesus to be a bit kinder to them. They've just seen someone they had hoped would save them horribly murdered. And yet Jesus is challenging them. Sometimes our ignorance is culpable, and Jesus calls us out. Sometimes we should have responded with faith. Because what we knew about God, we, didn't, we shouldn't let our emotions or circumstances cloud our vision of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Sometimes we need to go back to the scriptures and that's what Jesus says. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. I love the Old Testament. I love teaching theology when I get the chance, but I would have given anything to have listened in to that masterclass in understanding the Old Testament. Jesus is the answer to all the questions that were raised in the Old Testament. He's the fulfilment of all the promises that were made in the Old Testament. He shows in his life where he was born, how he died, what he said, uh, fulfilment of prophetic statements that were made. They should have known and they were culpable uh, for their ignorance. But here's where the story for me gets even more exciting. Verse 33. Sorry, uh, verse uh, 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Now it comes. How will they treat this stranger? What will they do? He's challenged them about their views on God. He's challenged them about their understanding of the Old Testament. How will they treat him? We live in a culture of stranger danger, don't we? 
but we're to worry about those uh, the bad things that people can do to us. We, uh, whether it's in the movies or whether it's in the, the, the fairy tales, we're taught to beware of strangers. Xenophobia, fear of the stranger. If this had happened in my house, that man would still be walking down the road. But this, these disciples have, have sensed something. And so they welcome this stranger in. And it's in that act of hospitality that they have a transformed relationship with Jesus himself. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It's interesting the role that food and hospitality play in Luke's gospel. Jesus was often criticised for the company that he kept. He was a friend of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Those were the people that Jesus ate with. Who you share food with in the Bible is more important than what food you eat. We always say you are what you eat, but in the ancient world it would be more you are who you eat with. They call it table fellowship. I remember when um, I was dating a girl and uh, I got invited to Christmas dinner. That was a big deal. Because I meant I wasn't just another boyfriend, I possibly could be the boyfriend. Because who gets invited to Christmas dinner is an indicator of who's part of the family. And for Jesus and for the New Testament, that same social influence happens at meals. Who you share food with demonstrates who's part of God's family. And that's why they were so critical of him. And so isn't it interesting that the time when these disciples' eyes were opened was when Jesus was sharing bread with them. He was a guest in their home and suddenly they understood who he was. Does that remind you of any other parable Jesus might have told? Do you remember he challenged us about how we know whether we're in the kingdom or not? Do you remember he said, I was hungry? And you gave me something to eat. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Our hospitality to those that are most in need, that's the indicator of whether we've been received into the kingdom of God. It's because God has graced us with an incredible welcome that he calls us to pass that welcome on. And therefore that's the test of true discipleship. That's the key to intimacy. If we've received grace from God, we'll pass it on to others. If we've been included in the household of God, we'll include others in our household. So for me, this passage challenges us to rethink Jesus. He's going to blow our minds by telling us things that we hadn't expected about God. But he's also going to challenge who we're willing to accept around our table. Not just who our policies are acceptable to or who our speeches are acceptable to, but who's acceptable around our kitchen table. Who gets a welcome there? I believe hospitality can change the world. Historian Rodney Stark argues that in the second century, when the plagues were ripping through the Roman Empire, that was the tipping point for the growth of Christianity. Because before, Christianity had just been a tiny little sect of the Jewish religion. A few people that had come to believe this crucified man could be the Messiah. 
that somehow in the second century, when those plagues were ripping through the Roman Empire and everyone was running for the hills to get out of the bad air of the city, Christians did something radical. They started to welcome the sick into their homes. Not just neighbours, not just family members, but anyone that was in need was offered hospitality. And Rodney Stark argues that was the point things changed. Christians were willing to die in able to offer people the hospitality that they need. I believe that revolution can happen again. I believe that if the church were known to be the place where the most vulnerable are not just welcomed to our services, not just welcomed into our programs, but actually welcomed into our homes and our lives, they would see something of the gracious God that we follow. That's why I'm passionate about fostering an adoption, actually. What a wonderful way to demonstrate the hospitality of God to children that have experienced neglect and physical and sexual violence. They need a home that they can trust. They need a family that's going to love them with the same grace that we have received. We've seen some amazing things around the nation. It's been so exciting seeing individuals and churches and communities respond in this way. Our nation needs to know the love and grace of our God. And I pray we'd have the opportunity to do it. But the story ends, finally, with a direction shift. You know they were going away from Jerusalem because all their dreams and hopes had been smashed. It was interesting, wasn't it, listening um, to David talking about going home on the train, feeling dejected. Maybe that's how you feel most Wednesday nights or Thursday mornings. Well, I wonder whether knowing that Jesus is resurrected can give you fresh hope to offer grace and compassion and hospitality at home, yes, but also in this place. The way that you and I live here, could we demonstrate the grace of a God who gives us hope whatever the circumstances we face? We're going to pray now and then sing our last hymn together. Let me just pray for us. You might want to stand up to join in. Father God, thank you for your welcome. Thank you that though we were far from you, though we were sinners... You still sent your son, Jesus, to live, to die, and to resurrect from the dead in order that we could be welcomed into your family. Lord, we're so grateful. Nothing we can ever do could pay you back. It's all grace that you've done that to us. But Lord, we ask that that grace would transform our hearts, our minds, our homes, our policies, our vision, our ambition. Lord, would it change our communities, our churches. Lord, would it change our nation. We pray that this world might know the grace and hospitality you've shown us. We thank you for all the opportunities we will have to show that. And we pray we'd have the courage and conviction to put it into practice. In Jesus' name. Amen.